if you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, get to uh, the letter of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4, looking at the first 12 verses of Ephesians 4. Welcome. It is uh, good for my heart to see your faces, and uh, uh, hopefully you feel at home and welcomed and loved here. If you're with us online, thanks for joining in with us today. If you're out in the shed, hopefully you're able to, uh, to participate in with worship today. Uh, if you're joining us online, we are going to be celebrating communion at the end of the service. So if you want to grab those elements uh, here in the message, uh, please do so. Last Sunday, we began a six-week message series called Reset. We're casting vision for the year ahead about where the Lord is leading us and specifically the areas that He is calling us to really focus on and grow in. The four areas that we've been talking about is praying in total dependence. That was last week we looked at that. Equipping the saints, that's today. Growing into maturity, which is the next couple Sundays, and then walking in love together. In our mission of making disciples of Jesus, we believe these four areas are ones that as we make progress in them, we will bring God great glory and it will help us and enable us to fulfill the mission that is before us. All of those come from the letter of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, which talked again all about praying in total dependence. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to watch online or listen online as a vision series as your pastor. I just want us to level set us, if you will, to remind us, here's where we're going, church. So if you call this church home and you're going to be gone here over the next six weeks, I encourage you to catch the Sundays that you miss. Today, we're looking at this area of equipping the saints. And here's a question for us to get started. Hopefully, as you walked in, you grabbed a three by five card as you walked in. If not, I'd encourage you to grab that at some point in the message. I will not take offense to you getting up and grabbing them there at the two uh, tables by the doors. But a question for us to get started that I want to come back to at the end that you'll need that three by five card for. If you were to pursue a staff job here at Crosspoint, if the church were to hire you for a particular role or job in the ministry, what would it be? Hypothetically speaking, if you found out there was a part-time or full-time job opening and, and you saw that job description, you said, I want that job, I want that role, what would that job description entail? Who would the role serve? As Liam Neeson said in the movie Taken, what special set of skills would you bring to the table that you've acquired over a long career? How would you use that for the kingdom? What area of ministry or mission would the role be involved in that you'd go, I want to invest my time, energy, passion, love into that? I asked a good friend this question this last week, and, and he said, well, I don't want to work for the church. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to get paid by the church. I understand that. That's great. You understand my point of this question. Hypothetically speaking, I'm not saying there's 250 jobs available. Hypothetically speaking, what would it be? And see, some of you even get that question, and you've already, like, disqualified yourself. I, I'm not going there. I'm not talking about how young or mature in faith you are. I'm just saying, what's the passion? What's the heart? What's the, I want to invest time there. I want to see the ministry of the local church flourish there with the purpose of seeing the body of Christ built up and strengthened and the unified mission of the church really flourish. Since March, one continual prayer that I've had is, Lord, March seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Right, yeah. 
We're just kind of going through these little, it's kind of volatile over the last five months, if you haven't noticed. So it seems like a long time ago, but since March, I've been praying, Lord, strengthen and build your church. Strengthen and build your church. When your church is scattered, when your church is gathered, it doesn't matter. Lord, strengthen and build your church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of his church, and we long to see him build his family and his flock, his body. And today's passage and next week's passage is going to talk all about what it looks like to see the body grow up into him. As a church, we talk about being gospel-centered. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that moves us toward him as well as toward one another, as well as toward ministry to people. It creates a people where there were no people, and then it calls those new creation peoples in Christ to ministry, to mission. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in full-time ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in full-time ministry. You are His hands and feet, 24-7, 365. You don't shut it off at certain hours. You don't turn it on at other hours, 24-7, 365 for as long as the lord gives us life in our bones you're an active part you're to be an active part of the work of ministry no matter what you do for a job what your age is this includes you students this is not when you graduate or when you get into high school or when you get into college or whatever is post high school this is now you're the church now not just later 13 years ago i left the corporate world and entered full-time vocational ministry my paycheck started to come from a local church and the generosity of god's people but in many ways i simply continued what i was doing but in a different form when the vision of crosspoint began over 20 years ago i was a businessman planting a church i never thought i'd be the pastor of this church i was a highly engaged volunteer alongside a bunch of other highly engaged volunteer members of a launch team and none of us would have said it this way but it was the reality of across the board, we were in full-time ministry. It was just our paychecks were coming from a variety of sources. So no matter what I do for an income over the duration of my life, I will never leave full-time ministry until I leave this earth or the Lord comes to take me home. And neither will you. Neither will you. As long as the Lord gives us life in our bones, we are in full-time ministry, 24-7 365. The church is at its healthiest when the entirety of the church and all its members and parts grasp the biblical truth that collectively we are in full-time ministry. Last week we talked about how chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians are all about how the, what the Lord has done for us, who we are in Him, and it's all by grace, chosen, forgive, see, uh, forgiven, sealed by the Holy Spirit, Brought into the family of God, known, loved, saved, again, all by grace. Here's what the Lord has done, our identity in Him. This is chapters 1 through 3. And then chapters 4 through 6 is, here's what it looks like to live out that identity. Here's what it looks like to, that internal identity in Christ, how it leads to external activity and actions for Christ. Being gospel-centered, the flow of the stream called transformation or salvation It always flows from the Lord and grace, what he's done for us internally. Then it flows to good works and faith-filled action. 
It is never the other way is never the other way around. It's always internal to external. It's always vertical to horizontal. And I really want us to get this and talk about, we talk about this often because in our area and some of our backgrounds, we see or we saw a gospel of works that if you do these external things, then you will be saved, then you'll be accepted by God. But that's an anti-gospel to the gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see this progression in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, saved by grace and saved then for good works. One flows to the next. In the next five weeks, we're talking about good work after good work after good work. And I don't want us to lose sight of that we are gospel-centered. So we do these good works not in order to be loved, but because we are loved. Because our identity in Christ is unchanging. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Therefore, therefore, as a result of all the, the grace work that the Lord has done and revealed to us in chapters 1 through 3, understanding who we are in Christ, therefore, we walk worthy of the calling. Meaning we walk in an external way that reveals and matches up with what our internal heart and mind has been transformed in. Paul says we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so I love that for so many reasons, but one of them is that we don't have to manufacture unity. We don't have to create it. We don't have to say, well, now what do you like and what do you like? And oh, okay, now we can be unified. No, we're, our, our role is to maintain the unity of the Spirit, preserve the unity of the Spirit. We don't have to do that in our own strength. And we do so through these four attitudes that lead to four actions. Internal attitudes leading to an external way of life that looks like the gospel where the fruit of our lives reveals that the root of our lives has, has changed. The soil that we are planted into has changed. It's now in Christ and no longer in self. Humility and gentleness, they were seen as a weakness in Paul's day. Pride and harshness were valued more, and honestly, it's the same way to this day. Pride and harshness is what gets activity. Humility and gentleness does not. But we don't take our cues from culture, church. We don't take our cues from culture. We take our cues from Christ, who is the head. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And on and on. All these blessed, blessed, blessed that are completely counter to a kingdom of self that we see in the world but not a kingdom within the family of God that worships the king. Remember John the Baptist. I must decrease, he must increase. A beautiful six-word prayer. We are citizens of a new eternal kingdom, and so through humility and gentleness toward one another, we make much of our king of kings. We exalt him when we don't make it about us 
when we live in a way that is not harsh toward fellow siblings, but is gentle and humble within the family of God. Then the end of verse 2 gives us two more attitudes that, that, that again lead to actions. Patience and bearing with one another in love. These flow one to the next. When we pursue humility in Christ, it leads to gentleness. Gentleness leads to patience, and patience leads to bearing with one another in love. Your translation may say long-suffering. Loved ones, Paul is saying here that we're going to get the lifelong opportunity to be patient with, with others and to bear with one another in love. And others are going to get the lifelong opportunity to be patient toward us and bear with us in love. All of these commands free us from this false thinking that a church family is going to be perfect. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher and pastor in the 1800s who I like to quote, makes me feel smarter, says this. I, I read this uh, every time we do a Discover Crosspoint. He says, you that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace who, though they are saved, are still sinners and in need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of one another in the family of God. You and I need the sympathy and the guidance of one another in the family of God. You and I need to pursue humility, gentleness, patience, an attitude that bears with one another. Why? Why do we have to do that? I don't want to do that. Because that's what we do as gospel people. Because we're gospel people. Because our King of Kings humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our King of Kings has been gentle toward us, no longer treating us as our sins deserve. Our King of Kings has been patient with you and I not wanting anyone to perish. Our King of Kings bore our sins in His body on the tree so that what? So that we might be what? Healed. Healed. Forgiven. Set free. No longer enslaved. We're gospel people. All four of these attitudes just flow one to the next. Building on one another and weaving together this beautiful tapestry making visible the gospel that has changed us inwardly look at our culture our culture is the exact opposite of those four qualities our culture is proud not gentle impatient and doesn't bear with anybody nope you don't agree with me done we're done but again we don't take our cues from the culture we take our cues from the scriptures which reveals to us how we are to live as gospel people. And as those kind of people, we not only have unity in relationships, but we have unity in what we believe, which is where Paul goes next in verses 4 through 6. At Crosspoint, we call it our statement of beliefs. It's basic orthodox for centuries. This is what we believe as, as the people of God. And I, I love the word one repeated over and over, reminding us of the biblical truth that unites us that we are anchored to. 
we have this in common, and it is unchanging. It doesn't get tossed to and fro. It's anchored. It's sure. It's steady. It ties us back historically to the church throughout the centuries. Verses 7 through 10, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts, he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Paul is referring to uh, Psalm 68, which is a victory song. Jesus has triumphed over death, rose again. He is head of the church. He is who we are here to worship. He is who we sing to. He is who we give to. He is who we fix our eyes on. This is a picture here of an army general, general returning back into a hometown in victory with all the loot and things and gifts that they have won from an enemy that has been conquered. This is beautiful. We've been called toward one another in the family of God. Jesus is our victorious chief shepherd, and he has and is, and is empowering his church. And he has given grace to each believer, it says there in verse 7. And the grace has been given out, the Spirit has been given out for the benefit of the church, for the whole, for the strengthening and building up of the body. He brings us together as a family, but then doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. That's beautiful and super encouraging to us. He empowers us with a spirit so that we might reflect him within this new family of God. Both 1 Peter 4.10 and 1 Corinthians 12.7 speak to the same truth, that the spirit of God has been given out to every individual believer for the common good, for the building up of the body. John 16, 7, Jesus tells us that it's actually to our advantage. He's telling the disciples, but he's telling us as well that it's to, to our advantage that he depart and in place of him send the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Spirit so that we might walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and experience him at work in and through us so that we might be empowered for full-time ministry. And then in verses 11 and 12, we read, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So you and I have received the grace of Jesus. We've been filled with the Spirit, empowered with spiritual gifts from our victorious King. And then the Lord gives a variety of leaders in the church to equip the saints for full-time work of ministry. The idea of the word equip there is the idea of uh, setting a broken bone right or mending nets that have torn. So we've been given the Spirit, and at the same time, we are in need of healing and mending and restoring in our own lives. None of us have arrived. Even if we've been trusting in the Lord for a long time, we need mending. And you and I are being equipped or mended or restored so that we might be ready for the work of ministry for a purpose, not a kingdom of self-purpose, but his kingdom. Into verse 12, the purpose is to build up the body of Christ. Paul's teaching for the New Testament is, is radically different from the Old Testament. Old Testament, the work of ministry was reserved for the priestly class, the professionals. 
But now with the Spirit poured out for our benefit, the work of ministry in the New Testament is done by a unified, fully engaged body of Christ. A body that is mended and restored and healed in order to go into full-time ministry. We are saints in Christ and yet also servants. We are worshipers of the Lord and yet also workers and laborers who have been sent out into the harvest for His harvest. So the work of ministry is not ultimately done by a pastor or teacher. It's done by the saints. One of my greatest joys in life has been to be able to coach 7th grade young men in the sport of basketball. And one thing I love about that is to uh, try and help uh, every kid on the team, no matter their role in the team, find their strength. How do they best bring their strength to the table, their skills to the table, so that the team is strengthened and not about me and I and rather about us and about the unified team. As I read this passage in Ephesians 4, it is clear that that's my mandate here as well within the body of Christ. Equipping you, equipping you for the work of ministry. So that the body of Christ is built up. For about 12 Sundays straight earlier this year, when we were online only for our Sunday services, there were five people in the room. Uh, my wife and I, uh, our daughter, her boyfriend Chris, and Eric Manning, my brother from another mother, running sound. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Well, it was a sweet time as a father to serve alongside uh, my family. The Von Trapps singing together and serving together on a Sunday morning is a terrible picture of Ephesians 4. May the Lord strengthen and build and use that time. It's a terrible picture of Ephesians 4. Now, who knows what the months ahead will bring? Church, our chief shepherd does. We can rest in that. We can walk by faith that our chief shepherd, who is also the good shepherd, who laid down his life for ours, who also has the power to take it back up on the third day, is building his church. And he said, he's promised that the gates of hell will not affect his church. So whether a pandemic is measly or monumental or somewhere in between, his church is going to be just fine. His church is being built up and strengthened because the chief shepherd hasn't dropped his staff and walked off. We can rest and we can work knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he's good. You see this progression in this passage. Through Christ being our peace, this is Ephesians chapter 2, Christ is our peace, tearing down the wall of hostility of sin and reconciling us to our Creator. Now we are no longer far away or foreigners or aliens or strangers, but we are fellow citizens alongside the saints and members of God's household with Christ at the foundation, the cornerstone of the church. Therefore, as a result of all that truth from chapters 1 through 3 and those specifically from chapter 2, chapter 4 then says we are to live worthy of the gospel. We are to walk in a way that reveals the gospel. So when we choose humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, we reveal the gospel. We reveal the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is also leading us and indwelling in here. This is how we maintain the unity of the spirit. 
And as God's household, we keep first things first. We keep the unchanging, life-changing doctrines first and primary. We don't allow secondary or disputable convictions to divide us because the gospel is of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15. It is what has brought us together. Why would we turn back to hostility when the Prince of Peace has torn down the wall of hostility? Why would we turn back to that? So the gospel calls us toward each other, but also toward ministry. Ministry that would build up the spiritual house that the Lord is building with Him at the cornerstone. You and I are living stones, 1 Peter would talk about, being built up, being strengthened. As we move into the year ahead, church, we want to have a really clear focus on equipping the saints for their work of ministry. Why? Because we want to see the Lord build His church for His name. For as long as the church has been around since the book of Acts, the church has had a need for the saints of the Lord to be engaged in the work of the Lord. And Crosspoint's no different. Let me tell you a little story here of our church. 2003, the church launched in a storefront in Eureka. It was all hands on deck. Some of you who were there remember that. I know Heather and I do. And the Lord was building and strengthening His church. 2006, we go mobile for Sunday mornings and begin to meet in the middle school for six years. And through the engagement of the saints, the Lord did exactly what he promised us to do here in Ephesians 4. He built his church. We grew numerically. We grew relationally. We grew in unity around this shared devotion to Jesus and that shared mission. In 2012, the Lord moved us to this location, God's sweet goodness to provide this location, this property that we're still growing into and just a giant, giant blessing. And in those first five years from 2012 to 2017, what is known, what has become known as the Illinois Exodus began to occur. And we felt it as a church. Over a hundred people representing well over 20 some households left this church and moved out of state. We felt that. These were people that were engaged in ministry, engaged in the work in various spectrums, whether leading or moving into that kind of role. Since 2017, uh, we stopped counting, okay? But it's continued. In those first five years here, we also had 10 to 12 households, 35, 40, 45 people leave and move to another church. Again, people that were engaged in ministry. Last year, we sent out four households including one of our own pastors, to join with other believers to go plant a new work in Manunk, Redeemer Community. Why am I telling you all this? I do like numbers because numbers represent people. But I'm telling you this to remind us that as much sending out in various ways that the Lord has been doing over the years, He has also been bringing in. He has also been bringing in because He's the chief shepherd of His church. He's the head of the church. He has sustained ministries such as Sun Chasers and Hype and Worship Team and others through the provision of saints who have found a home here and then are equipped for the work of ministry. Praise our chief shepherd. Christ, who is the head, building his church. He has raised up saints who rightly see themselves as servants as well. Not spectators, but servants who serve with the purpose not to make much of themselves, but make much of their king of kings. And our king of kings. I would also tell you, if I can be honest, that's a baseline goal of every preacher. 
honesty. I've not always been a great equipper. I tend more toward being a doer. Years ago when I was going to a seminary class, that's actually the label I gave myself, a doer. And here I am several years later. And so over the past uh, five years or so, I've started to do things around here I probably shouldn't do. Not because I'm an arrogant jerk and think they're, they're uh, below me, okay? But because I need to focus on equipping people. Similar to how a coach finds the strengths and passions of the team and then says, go. Moses was not a great equipper. I feel like I'm in good company then. But he had a leadership problem. Too many Israelites to, to, uh, to, for one person to manage and lead. And Jethro, like a good father-in-law, comes along with some opinions and thoughts. And Exodus 18 comes to Moses and says, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. And again, if I can be honest, and I believe I can be because I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by a polished uh, public image of works. In my spirit, for the past probably five years, there's a general sense of weariness and burnout that I have to wrestle down and work through and ask the Lord to sustain me in and rely upon my wife. And some of you know that about my heart. The past five months have not helped. What's the solution to that? Well, the solution is the same one that Jethro gave Moses. It's the same one that Paul gave to the Ephesian church. It's the same one the Spirit of God is, is giving to His church today. And that as leaders in the church we, we are, who have been given by the Spirit not to do, but rather to equip, I need to begin to think like I coach. I don't get onto the court and play against seventh graders. Although, I do like my chances if I do. <laughs> In a variety of ways. And there's some certain teams. I will not name them. But there are some certain teams. I would like to. Come here. Sorry. But my role as a coach is to equip the 12 to 15 who play in various ways over the course of 24 minutes of a game or practices. Not to get on the court. I need to reset how I view ministry. And I need to reset it according to the beautiful promise of verses 11 and 12. But this is not just a Dave thing. This is a cross-point, church-wide reset. Why again? Because we want to see the body of Christ built up. We want to see the head of the church glorified. We're all in interim roles. We need to think long-term. Who's next? Who can join me as I do this thing or serve here? Who can I show how to do this? Who, who can own this part of ministry in the church? Who, who can be developed and brought alongside? We need to shift to a, an equipping mindset where the people of God who have received grace and are filled with the Spirit are released to serve in their sweet spots of giftings and passions. Released not just to ministries within this uh, these four walls are on this property, but released to do ministry the other six days of the week. One anothering. Life within the family of God. Life within your neighborhood. Sent out to be church planters and missionaries. Imagine what the local church could look like if across the board we shifted to an equipping mindset where the saints of the Lord more or less saw themselves as staff. Staff on the church. 
and owned their part of ministry with a passion and joy to see how their part, whether in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, somewhere in between, would make much of the head of the church. Where the church was never built around one personality, one one human personality or giftings. The church would never be built around that, but rather the church would always be built around Jesus Christ, the God-man, the chief shepherd, the head, where no one sat on the bench, but all were engaged in ministry on the court, where believers were equipped to do to be teachers and community group leaders and counselors and leaders of others and servants, where those with a passion for next generation, to see the next generation flourish in the Lord with servants, sun chasers, and hype, where those with giftings of teaching and leading, administration, mercy, generosity, hospitality, and all these other gifts, they would use those for the purpose of the common good. Where you students wouldn't wait to be graduated to serve, but you'd serve now because you're the church now. I believe there's a way to do life in a local church that might appear atypical or uncommon, but is not atypical or uncommon to the New Testament, which as a church, we want to be about the New Testament. We want to be common or typical to what happened in the New Testament. I believe there's a way to follow the scriptures and to see the local church flourish. Some of you have been around here for a while and possibly might have started to pull back from personal or people-focused ministry for a variety of reasons. We need you to lean back in to rejoin the staff here for the health of the church. Some of you have just started attending last couple years or last few months. We need you not to stay on the sidelines, not to dip your toe in the water, but to engage in the life of the ministry around here. So I ask the question again to you. If you were to pursue a staff job here at Crosspoint, if the church were to hire you for a particular job or role in ministry, what would it be? Who and how would you serve? What's a, what's a passion that you see the church, you, re- you really want to see it flourish in? Would you serve behind the scenes, in front, or both? Would the church be hiring you to invest into kiddos or work on property stuff or mow the yard or pray for others or counsel others or disciple students or play an instrument and a thousand other examples. So with the note cards, I'd like you to write your answer to that. I realize it's a very large question. I probably asked 20 questions to try to convey one question. And I'd also like you to include your name. That'd be more helpful for us to have your name on these note cards. Afterwards, you can drop those cards in the, the baskets that are by the tables. This is just one practical way for us to try to get a sense of what are the passions and giftings and abilities within our church and how best to employ them. Again, whether you're new in the faith, old in the faith, whatever. 